0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Daddy's late night.
2: Tonight we're talking about romance and diabetes with musical inspiration from Camilla Cabello. Camilla released several albums as part of Fifth Harmony and uh, went on to release her first solo album in 2018 and then followed up with this new album entitled Romance just a few months ago. Tonight Camilla's music is helping us to get us in the mood to talk about romance and diabetes. But before you think this is just going to be a straight-up sex talk, Um, I'd like you to know that we're actually going to be looking at talking to people and encouraging you to think about romancing yourself this Valentine's Day. What does romancing yourself mean? Well, romancing yourself happens when you take your life in your own hands, when you get to know yourself, know your diabetes health, spend time with your likes and your joys. When you romance yourself, you do things that will nourish and bring out the inner radiance in you. You pay attention to the details that are most important and meaningful in your life. And with that, I want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day a few days early. My guests tonight include intimacy and diabetes e-book author, sex educator, diabetes educator, Janice Rosler, No Diabetes by Heart ambassador, Val Ferguson Davis, my sweet blessings book author, Tricia Peretti, poet Lorraine Brooks, and Kathy Malick. Throughout this podcast, we'll be featuring music from Camilla Capello's Romance album, courtesy of Sony Music. Now, I just want to urge you to take a minute to uh, check out all the great fitness and underwear at 5 equals 10. Uh, they're donating 10% of their company profits to Divabetic this year. They're helping us make the world a better place. Go to org for more details. And we want to thank them because last year they donated over $1,000 to the Divabetic organization to help put on this podcast as well as countless other live events. So thank you, 5 equals 10, and uh, spread the love, everybody. All right, our new inspiration, Camilla Cabello. It's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? Camilla? Cabello. uh, is a bookworm. I love that because guess what? We've got our mystery podcast coming up in September, and the first rehearsal is going to be in a few weeks, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, Camilla is a huge Harry Potter fan. She loves uh, J.K. Rowling so much. Then she's even dressed up as one of the Hogwarts uh, students for for Halloween. Now, throughout this uh, show, we're going to be playing more music, but that was already we played "Senorita," uh, which kind of talks about her real relationship with Shawn Mendes, um, which was similar to her 2017 hit "Havana." But here's another song that I really like off the Romance album called "Living Proof." Courtesy of Sony Music. Thank you. I Late Night, I'm your DJ host, Mr. Deepabetic. I have to tell you, I really enjoy this album. It's, like, it's got a lot of different uh, moods and tempos to it. And she uses her voice differently throughout the album. So I encourage you to go check out Romance Like Camilla Tavello. We're going to be playing all her cuts all night long, including... First Man, which was an amazing moment at the Grammys earlier this year. She dedicates her real life father. We're going to be closing uh, the show with that show supper. I love that song so much. In the meantime, though, I want to tell you for the last several years, every February, we've been proud to participate in uh, Diabetes Podcast Week and ask you, our listeners, to donate to the International Diabetes Federation Spare Rose Save a Child campaign to help a child in need living with type 1 diabetes. Life for a Child partners with diabetes centers in, in and around the world to provide critical supplies to children living with type 1 diabetes. You could go there right now to lfacinternational.org to donate now. Again, they're wanting you to donate the uh, price of a bouquet of roses uh, forgo getting roses this year and donate that money to someone in need living with type 1 diabetes. It's an amazing organization. Uh, we're going to be working with Stacy Simmons from uh, Podcast Week to produce our own Podcast Week in November. I'll have more details to share about that later. In the meantime, we're going to get back to the conversation about romance and diabetes, but before we do, I just want to say uh, this topic is important to us. After nine years of podcasting, I think that intimacy plays a huge role in how you live your diabetes life. And I think if you're having issues with your partner, uh, with yourself in the bedroom, then you need to find out how you could fix that because that could be really the obstacle preventing you from wanting to take care of yourself. It could also be the obstacle stopping your partner from taking care of yourself. And I think sometimes it's great to have these conversations in other conversations. So as you know, on Diabetes Late Night, for those of you who are loyal listeners, we love to have different segments throughout the night. Sometimes uh, topics overlap, and one guest will share something off of another uh, guest conversation, and sometimes they don't. So tonight we might have a few guests who don't want to participate in this show because they weren't comfortable with the topic that we're addressing, which is romance and diabetes. I completely understand, and I just want to apologize to everyone up front, that uh, I would never intentionally try to uh, hijack anyone and make them talk about something they're not comfortable with. But I do think it serves the point that we need to have more conversations around intimacy uh, in the diabetes community because I do think it plays a big role in that and about changing someone's health. You may not agree with that, and that's okay too. In the meantime, not all conversations about someone's diet, you know, diabetes doesn't... uh, impact every aspect of your life, including your sexual health. When someone with diabetes, when a person has diabetes, their body cannot use insulin properly, and this can lead to high blood pressure levels. Over time, they can lead to complications such as nerve damage and cardiovascular problems. Both have implications for sexual health in men and women. That's all coming up in the next hour with one of my favorite uh, authors who's, who's actually celebrating the release of a new book, but when we come back, I'm going to be talking to the mistress of the pen, Lorraine Brooks, a little bit about intimacy. Right now, it's time for more from our diva inspiration. Melinda Cabello is a Cuban-born, first-generation American pop star. She learned English by watching cartoons. Here's a snippet from Shameless off her new romance album, courtesy of Tony Music. Let's listen. Right now I'm
1: Shameless.
2: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva and we're talking about romance and diabetes with musical inspiration from Camilla Capello. Hey, sex can be a joy, a challenge, a puzzle, and even a frustration. At its best, it's physically and emotionally fulfilling. At its worst, it could cause feelings of disappointment and failure. The mechanics of checking your blood sugar dealing with your pump and your tubing, as well as the potential problems that diabetes health-related complications can cause in the bedroom Make intimacy overwhelming sometimes, right? I think that's true. So, joining me to talk about this subject is our fabulous poet, Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine.
3: Good evening, Max. How are you?
2: I'm great. And I just want to say, you look amazing. Oh,
3: la la. Well, thank you very much. I'm
2: wearing
3: No, I'm wearing my. Thank you. Same to you. I'm wearing my special uh, ruby red slippers and uh, my ruby red cape, and I'm ready.
2: (laughs) You are ready. You know, um, I want to jump right into this conversation about intimacy because I know you wrote a poem about that for us tonight, and, you know, a lot of... experts as well as everyday people agree that intimacy is a lot harder than just uh, having sex. And, you know, um, so I want to get your opinion on this. RuPaul has a motto. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love someone else? And I'm just curious if you agree with that statement or not, because I think that pertains to that could. How we deal with intimacy as well It starts with knowing ourselves So do you think uh, If you can't love yourself how the hell are you going to love someone else Lorraine is that true or false
3: Um, I would say That that's very true I think if you Don't have a good relationship with yourself And you don't know yourself Very well then you You know have a tendency To I think get involved with the wrong People or people who don't Honor who you are And that's easy if you don't Honor who you are yourself Or if you if you don't know who you are well enough So yeah, I think that's very true I also think it's true that They say that, you know, the most important Sex organ is the one in your head You know, it's how you think about things And it's how you see yourself And see the world around you And, and see yourself in relationships That's way more important Than what you look like Or, you know, what el- whatever else You're bringing to the table So yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. So when
2: you know, there's always a lot of talk about the shame and blame aspect of a diabetes diagnosis and I'm just curious, uh, with you specifically, if you had any feelings of that and if you thought how you thought that might have affected you pursuing a relationship or not
3: you know for me it really didn't um i think you and i've had this conversation a few times i had my, my grandmother was diabetic and so it was not foreign to me and it was not strange to me and i didn't really think it was a terrible thing when it happened to me so i didn't have that i didn't have that feeling that i wasn't going to be the same person <clears throat> excuse me or that i wasn't going to be able to do the same things Uh, In fact, actually quite the opposite. I felt like, you know, this isn't going to stop me from doing the same things and being the same person. Not that that was always easy, you know, but um, for me, it wasn't that kind of experience. Later in life, you know, I've I've had type 1 for almost 40 years now. And later in life, I think what has gotten more in my way is not the diabetes itself but the fact that um I struggle with my weight as you know and you know as I've gotten older it's been a, a bit it's been a harder struggle more difficult struggle and I think that part of it is what gets in my way more it's more a, a feeling of you know my my body image rather than the fact that I have diabetes so and sometimes they go hand in hand, of course, but um, for me it's not, you know, it's its not the disease itself. It's kind of maybe how the disease is affecting how I look or how I think I look. You know, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, no, I do. And I think that's a great question to bring up with Janice coming up in the next ser- segment about how some of our body image um, affects that. I certainly think that, um, you know, the ideas of... Um, of, of intimacy are challenging because a lot of people want to, you know, sex could be very quick and, and and done with if you don't like yourself. But the intimate, the idea uh-huh. of intimacy, like you said, engages your mind and you're more involved in it. And so when you were working on this poem and, and this subject that I gave you about let's talk about intimacy since uh, that is a big part of, Janice's new book, Intimacy and Diabetes. What were you thinking as you started to put pen to paper around it?
3: Um, so uh, what I was thinking, and I never put pen to paper. I sit in front of my computer. <laughs> 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 I put, I put, I put okay, fingers to the keyboard. Uh, yes, I put fingers to keyboard. But, um, you know, I was thinking uh, of the fact that what, what you just said, that intimacy is not just a physical act you know it's not just about sex in fact I, I think it's almost very little about you know actual sex to me intimacy is more uh, how do you feel about a person and you can be intimate with a number of people it doesn't have to be your partner it, it can be your friends it can be your your family members it can be uh, your pets you know you can have an intimate relationship with with um a number of people or a number of, in a number of circumstances. So I think when I sat down to write the poem, that's kind of where I was at, you know, that um, I can be intimate just from sitting down and sharing a cup of coffee with a good friend of mine. You know, in fact, just the other day, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was in England and we hadn't spoken to each other in a very long time. And she said to me, hold on, I want to make a cup of tea you know, because I, because I feel like this is going to be one of those kind of conversations. So hold on, I want to make a cup of tea. And I thought to myself, well, how nice is that, you know, that we're going to have a really nice conversation, and she wants to settle in and and and, and take her time and enjoy a cup of tea while we were talking. And, I, and it felt like it was intimate, even though we're miles away. So that's kind of the tone of my poem, um, which is called intimate me when I think of intimacy when I think of intimacy I think of someone close to me I think of things we hear and see and sharing moments light and free I think of talking out my dreams of waterfalls and quiet streams of how it is and how it seems of all our plans and all our schemes. But sometimes all I need is peace, all the noise to stop and cease, a quiet touch and soul release to listen to my own heartbeat. A smile, a nod, a hopeful look, all spell intimate in my book, that I'll be okay by hook or by crook in spite of all the turns I took. To be intimate is not defined by circumstance or frame of mind. It's everything we see combined, the total of all humankind. A compliment, a wink, a note, a birthday card, an anecdote, one friend who called and one who wrote, all help me breathe and stay afloat. So talk and hug and call and be and share a cup of herbal tea, and burn some oils and potpourri, and you will get the intimate me.
1: Ooh la la.
2: That's our sound effect for tonight, uh, Lorraine. I love it. I think it's <laughs> spectacular. Yeah.
1: Way and it's so true. With, with, I, uh,
3: drink, I drink tea, I burn potpourri, tea, I, you know, and that's what I do, and that's what I do, and And I do that with my friends and they all know that and and it's a wonderful experience.
2: That's beautiful. I love that. I can't wait to talk to you. you. Get Janice. Stick around and let's hear what Janice Rossler has to say about intimacy and diabetes and reference some of these things. Maybe she'll recommend an herbal tea too. Who knows, right? She's also a registered dietitian, family counselor, best-selling author. She's got more titles than I could even think of and I'll have to hear more about it. But first, Lorraine, I know you love to dance and you love great music. Camila Cabello has an amazing voice, but she also plays the guitar. The star has uploaded several videos of her playing covers of her favorite songs as well as acoustic versions of her own track. Here's, I think you're going to love the title of this song, uh, Lorraine, Bad Kind of Butterflies from her romance album, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's
1: listen. <laughs>
2: diabetes late, late night. I just had a butterfly in my throat. Um, I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight, we're talking about romancing yourself, romancing your diabetes health, with musical inspiration from Camilla Cabella. Hey, sex, love, and intimacy issues are sensitive subject. Both men and women long for connections. Intim- intimacy, sex, and relationships are complex, especially when you're living with diabetes. One of the biggest challenges regarding intimacy issues is... Uh, that women's sexuality is quite different from men's sexuality. Hmm, that's interesting. I think we all agree with that. Joining us to talk about this subject is the author of the new e-book, which the release just happened, Intimacy and Diabetes. Please welcome back to the show, sex therapist and diabetes educator, Janice Rosler. Hi, Janice.
4: Hey, Max. How are you? Ooh la la.
2: (laughs) Ooh la la. I'll take that. I'm good. I'm great tonight. You just heard me talking to uh, Lorraine about intimacy. We really challenged her to kind of um, go there with that poem tonight because, you know, as we get into this conversation and you and I have talked before about some of the common sexual dysfunction issues that people deal with who have diabetes, um, I thought that this would be an interesting uh, to, to kind of frame the conversation around intimacy. And I thought she brought up some really lovely ideas and even talk so beautifully about the intimacy she shares with her friends.
4: I'll tell you first of all Lorraine that poem was stunning. Absolutely stunning. I was just listening to it and uh, you you know you bring people right there. I could I could see the tea steaming in your friend's beautiful china cup Uh, it was just lovely and just what i also appreciated is that with the poem you highlighted that intimacy isn't just between sexual partners it's between friends it's between colleagues it's between people you know it's really about being your being authentic and and just um, reaching out to people and having them reach back to you. I, I thought it was just stunning, really beautiful. It
1: was. And
2: she, well, she always does an amazing job. And we should tell everyone, I believe the poem is called Rise Away. I'm going to have to bring her in a minute to get that from her. But she has an e-book out, too. She's amazing. Oh, and she's promising to write more. Plus, she's an artist. And Lorraine does everything. And she narrates her uh History podcast, and she's not performing herself in the D.C. area. But let's talk about intimacy first, then we'll bring Lorraine in. You know, this is a complicated subject for people. I think, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I mean, a lot of people, uh, we see sex all the time in movies, on TV, but then J.Lo lo is on a stripper pole and people go crazy. So how do we deal with this? when We're really talking about, I think, sometimes two sides of our mouth. One side, I'm seeing all this kind of uh, – porn images and other things on magazine covers and everywhere, and then the other side of me is very uptight and unwilling to discuss it. So how do you even begin to tackle the subject with a partner if you're not really quite sure how comfortable you are with it?
4: Well, I think actually the place to begin is with the communication because it is possible to have very, very intense sex that's not intimate. Uh, a lot of people do that and, and feel very unsatisfied after because they don't feel that they've touched the other person emotionally and they haven't been embraced emotionally. So for some people, especially if someone has a sex um, kind of addictive uh, issue going on, they will turn to sex to actually numb themselves so they don't have to connect with people. And that's a whole other issue altogether. But intimacy and sex don't necessarily go together. It's something that we have to help put together. Um, Sex is the actual mechanics of doing things. It's the body parts connecting. But the intimacy piece is sharing yourself, sharing who you are it's the laughter. It's the staring into each other's eyes. It's embracing. Actually, there's eight forms of intimacy, that uh, eight types of intimacy that I like to share with people. And um, what people who are having difficulty developing intimacy in their relationship can take these types and try to do one each day. For example. Uh, affection that's not sexual. That's a way to be intimate and connect. What I mean by that is saying loving and kind words to each other, not necessarily kissing and hugging and and having sex, but actually just being affectionate and kind and saying uh, thank you and, and connecting that way and saying how much you care about each other. Another one is emotional, meaning that you share your emotions. If you're upset, if you're happy, sad, there's a whole list of emotions. Discussing them, mentioning them, and connecting, and talk, and and ha- and creating that environment so you feel comfortable discussing them. Uh, a third one is social. That's going out together. You maybe you want to double date with another couple, or go out alone, or go see a movie, or or take a walk. That's that's you connecting in a social way, and that's. A form of intimacy. Another one is Wait, can I,
2: yeah. I, I, Sure. I want to stop you for one minute. <laughs> That's my sound effect tonight. The frog. Uh, I want to keep <laughs> hearing the rest of these, but I want to stop because, you know, you just mentioned social, and right before that, the communication. Now, a lot of people with diabetes uh, are not happy that they're living with diabetes. So, if I'm not comfortable with my diabetes. How am I going to express those emotions to my partner? And some people don't like to go out and be social because we've all seen the multiple social media posts of someone who checks their blood sugars at a restaurant or on an airport at the airline or something like that, and someone says they're a drug addict or makes some bad reference to why they did that. So there's some people who those last two things that you brought up, I think there is a direct relation to how I'm dealing with my diabetes and then how I would be dealing with my partner based on these, ideas, these eight different types of intimacy.
4: That's actually a huge piece because diabetes adds to this whole mix. Without diabetes, people struggle with it. So if you're bringing in blood sugar levels and checking your blood publicly, privately, or like you said, not even feeling positive about who you are physically or as a person, these are things that are important. You know, as Lorraine said, and as you had that chat with her about loving yourself first. One thing that I would suggest is journaling. I'm very big on having my clients journal. Take out some paper and write a letter to your diabetes. Write a letter. Tell it how you feel. If you're mad, get that out. If you're if you um, if it's enabled you to do things. Uh, positive things, for instance, some people, because they have diabetes, have found that they've connected with r- real meaningful groups of people and now have a wonderful um, support system because of their diabetes. Or maybe because they have diabetes, now they exercise regularly um, and so they take better care of themselves. Or maybe you're frustrated that you can't eat the way you would like to eat, or you're tired of taking medication. Write all that out. Get that on paper. Get that out in the open. And that gives you an opportunity to release a lot that you're holding in and then see how you feel. And you can discuss these topics with your loved one and say, listen, I'm struggling. I want to share this with you. Now, if you don't want to hear advice, you can say that up front. I'd like to share this with you. I'm not asking for your advice. I don't want you to tell me what to do, but would you hold my hand and please listen to me just complain? And there's an intimate connection that can happen there also. Um, If the struggle becomes overwhelming and you truly don't like how you feel, you don't feel good about yourself, you don't feel comfortable, it is worthwhile to reach out to a mental health professional who can help you perceive your diabetes and your life with your diabetes in a different way because your diabetes is going to be with you every day of your life uh, until we find a cure, which right now we don't have. So finding a way to be friends with it, to have an intimate relationship with your diabetes is, would be a worthwhile investment also of your time.
2: I love it. All right, so now let's go back to our eight types of um, intimacy you you have, communication, and I believe you're just going to intellectual when I cut you off.
4: Okay, so intellectual is that you share facts. For instance, you might uh, discuss a topic related to the election, or you might discuss a book that you read. So you're connecting on a different level, and that can be a form of intimacy. Spiritual if you go to pray together or meditate together, if you, uh, you know, doing something that you think is, is of a spiritual nature is, is a wonderful way to bond. Physical but not sexual, that's the kiss goodbye when one of you goes off to work or holding, walking and holding hands, um, hugging or just putting your hands on their shoulder, giving a back rub. It doesn't lead to sex because you've chosen to not have it lead to sex, but you're showing affection, you know, patting each other on the head. Or there's even a nurturing hug, which I love to do. After a hard day, it's great to come home to the person you love, and you hug and hold each other until you both relax. It's not meant to be a prelude to sex. It's just a way to just relax and start to release positive, relaxing, stress-relieving hormones. And it's really delicious. Um, We also have aesthetic. Aesthetic means that you view something of beauty together. Go to a museum, walk outside, sit outside and, and view a sunset. When you're walking, point out an extraordinary tree just viewing something together that's beautiful and sharing that moment and then the final one is sexual it is sex and all of the different um physical and intimacy activities that go that are are wound up in the act of having sex
2: all right then we're gonna keep spotlighting you throughout the podcast today with little questions but You know, what's interesting is coming up on the show, we have um, three more women. Uh, Two women have been living with diabetes for over 50 to 60 years, uh, similar to Lorraine. One woman was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes a little bit later in her life. I want to go back and reference Lorraine's thing about body image. I mean, you know, I'm just curious your thoughts on this, and I'm theorizing uh, as I was listening to you about the idea if I was diagnosed with type 1 or type 2 diabetes as a child, um, and I learned to live with it pretty quickly, that might not totally affect my body image, right, versus a woman or a man like myself. You get to certain age, things start changing my body. As Lorraine said, I might not be as confident as I was at 20 now that I'm in my 50s, and then double down with the diabetes diagnosis. That could really be a barrier for me in the self-confidence as I explore intimacy. So I'm kind of curious, like, how you would sum up this idea uh, early diagnosis, maybe versus a later on diagnosis as it applies to this idea this could be your thesis <laughs> yes, I'm sorry to do
4: this
2: yeah how we kind of relate to our changing bodies and 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 intimacy too versus you know how we looked at our, if we still feel the same way we did when we were younger and our most joyful and and happy I'll tell
4: you you know it's very interesting I don't personally know if uh, being diagnosed early and being diagnosed later necessarily can be given um, you know, a, a rule for each because each person's different and what happens in their life is different. If you're comfortable and confident with your diabetes, as you go, you know when you were in, uh, diagnosed early, and you start going through puberty and some of the kids at school make fun of your pump, and maybe make fun of the fact that you have, uh, you if you remove the pump and you've got a little bit of a mark on your skin or there's a black and blue mark from an injection, you may then develop some shyness about your body or discomfort, even though you went through all those years without a problem. If you're diagnosed later, you may have a weight gain. You may, you may be fine until you have a weight gain. You know, it's all different what... what We encounter how people respond to us. But um, one thing that's very interesting, an interesting activity that some of your listeners may want to try, is draw an outline of a gingerbread man, you know, that's kind of a person. And have one for you and one for your partner. And then take um, uh, red, yellow, and green markers or crayons. Where you mark green, those are areas that you feel very comfortable being touched. If you can be touched on your head, put color that green. If you're fine with your hands, color it green. If you're good with your feet, color it green. Color all different areas of your body, your waist, your breast, whatever. Color it green. If you are good, you're totally comfortable being touched there. And yellow would be ones that you're, it it depends, it varies on the day, it varies on the mood. And then red would be absolutely don't touch me there. I just, you know, there may be certain areas of your body that maybe you're too ticklish or maybe you're too uncomfortable with. And you do one and have your partner do one. And then swap it and see if you're finding out something about your partner you didn't know. For example, perhaps your partner puts red on on their feet, and you thought the feet were open and could be touched at any time, but they said no, I just I'm so ticklish that it makes me nervous that someone's going to touch my feet so uh, now you know more about them. You've just shared something very intimate. So when you experience a physical interaction, you can connect by saying, I'm trying to hang in there with the gingerbread man. I want to make sure I, I respect you and touch you where you feel comfortable. But these things change as we age. They change with our experiences. They change with who we are. They change with how uh, comments we've received. Uh, feedback we've gotten from others, and uh, even bullying, unfortunately, that's a piece, too. Um, You know, we're living beings, and we're always changing and growing, so we always need to check in and see how we feel about our bodies.
2: All right, I'm going to do that exercise during the next snippet of uh, music, and I'll reveal a couple things to my listeners when we come back. But, Janice, you're sticking around all night. We're so thrilled to have you. The book is Intimacy and Diabetes. It's available right now. Ebook, you can visit Janice Rosler's website and you'll tell us when we come back where else we could get it. But right now, Camilla Cabello auditioned for TV's talent show, The X Factor, and um, that was the first time she sang in front of people. Can you imagine that, Janice? I and mean, you talk about feeling a little uncomfortable. Here's a snippet from Liar from her new romance album, courtesy
1: of Sony Music. Start sketching those ginger. Oh no, there you go. Making hey, me a liar. Got me begging you for more.
2: Jeff Rosler, our sex therapist and diabetes educator, just challenged us to sketch a gingerbread man identify the parts of our body that we're most comfortable with and the ones we're not so comfortable with in the shape of a gingerbread man. And I would be amiss if I did not tell you that last year's mystery podcast was entitled Gingerbread Men Don't Prefer Blondes. And uh, you can check that out on Blog Talk Radio right now. It's an hour-long mystery podcast. It has nothing to do with that uh, exercise, but it is a fun show Uh, urging you to be a diabetes detective. All right, so uh, before we get to the heart of the matter and talk to one of the most amazing uh, no-diabetes-by-heart ambassadors, um, I just want to reveal that I did do this. So I said the side of my neck is definitely a red zone, But um, because I have psoriasis, there's a lot of places that are red that I was kind of surprised that I wrote down, and some of them are on the side of my waist and um, the back of my... uh, right calf, because those are areas that I have the psoriasis on, and I, don't, I, I guess I'll ask Janice a little bit later about that, probably a little bit of the insecurity around my own image, so I'm sharing that with you tonight. But now I want to move on and uh, share a 14-year diabetes health journey with you that includes, includes stroke, heart attack, surgeries, and setbacks. This conversation is so important to me. When we're talking about romance and diabetes, I think of my former boss, Luther Andros suffered a stroke back in 2003, uh, related to type 2 diabetes. And so it's always really a huge, tremendous honor for me to spotlight stroke survivors and hear their stories and uh, use those stories to help motivate you to keep your house at home and learn how to prevent or uh, avoid a diabetes health-related complication. So the American Heart and the Diabetes Association are teaming up with this incredible program called No Diabetes by Heart, which you should visit at the nodiabetesbyheart.org website. And one of their ambassadors is with us now. It's Ty Val Ferguson Davis. Welcome to the show.
5: Welcome, welcome. And you got Ooh it. La la. Thank you.
2: <laughs> you look fabulous tonight.
5: Thank you, thank you. Well, welcome everybody. You know,
2: I, and Continue. I didn't mean to cut
5: you off. I just want to say hello to everybody out there who's listening, and you know that your health is important.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And uh, we're glad you're here. You know, when I went in November to the No Diabetes by Health kickoff, I heard your story, knew you were a stroke survivor, and I wanted to have you on the show. So I've been kind of counting down the days to have you on the show, kind of like I'm counting down the days to have Pedal Bell on our podcast. And uh, I want to get right to it because I think you have such an important story to share. Now, I want to go back first to uh, your type 2 diagnosis. And as I understand it, because uh, I read some of your bio, you were, um, you were diagnosed while you were pregnant with your son, but you might have had some symptoms uh, earlier than that. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of your, uh, the symptoms that led to the type 2, di- type two diabetes diagnosis?
5: Yeah, um, I was pregnant, and all of a sudden, I went to the doctor, and I was diagnosed. But, you know, looking back, there were some warning signs. And, you know, you call diabetes a silent killer for a reason, because my mom had diabetes. And I really didn't pay attention to the warning signs, you know, the excessive terse, the frequent urination, the fact that I was always walking around. You know, with a big blur, like I, you know, needed more energy, like I needed some Red Bull, I needed some sugar, caffeine, but you know what, I really felt like I had diabetes years before I was diagnosed.
2: And so then you were diagnosed when you were with your, when you had your son, I think he's about 16 or 17 now, is that true, or maybe?
1: Yeah, he uh, he just it?
5: turned, he's, he's 14 and a half, he's going to be 15 this year. But, yes, I was diagnosed when I went – actually, I went to my doctor, my OB at this point, and um, we ran some tests, and she fired me as a patient. She says, well, you're high risk. I really don't want to take you on as a client. And here I am, diagnosed with diabetes, and my doctor is telling me that I'm high risk, and she doesn't want to take me on as a client. And I'm like, wait a second. My world just kind of swung around. I'm like, what do I do? How do I move? How do I turn? It was like it was like a lot to take in all at once. So being diagnosed, to be fired by my doctor telling me I'm high risk, and she wasn't willing to take, you know, my diagnosis or me as a patient, I was devastated at that.
2: I agree. So how how what did what what did you
5: do? <laughs> well, what I did was I cried a lot first. But then you know what, I found a doctor that was willing to work with me, and you know through my pregnancy, which was really rough because you know I went from having to learn how to shoot needles, insulin, how to take medication, um the nutritional class now you know as a you know as a mother mother bear, you know you have your child inside of you, so you want to make sure that child has everything, so I was willing to do whatever it took you know so so he can be healthy. And I was willing to, you know, learn how to, now I'm afraid of shots, and I still am to this day. And I used to shoot up five times a day. That's just how weird my, you know, as, you know, you have diabetes, and when you're pregnant, your hormones are on overdrive. So it's like fluctuations, and you have to, you know, pick, you have to check your sugar levels at all time of day. You have to eat a certain time, or else you'll have a spike or a drop. So, you know, it was like going from a world, coming into a new world, which was Foreign to me, I didn't know what to do, but I tried with the little knowledge I have to fight for him in vitro.
2: And so then, after you had your son, and you were, um, you would know, you were going on with your your health and trying to maintain your weight and everything else that I read in the article, you did you did feel like you weren't really staying in the habits that you were um, trying to keep. And so, therefore, how long was it before you suffered the strip?
5: Yeah, like after I had my son, I kind of I fell off. I can tell you the truth. I can take accountability today. I went back to my always. I went back to, you know, eating that red ribs, barbecue ribs, drinking those sodas. And, you know, I had diabetes. The weird thing was I still took my medication, thinking that if I take my med form, if I take my insulin, and I eat, the metforma will cover it. Silly me, right? (laughs) And, you know, we as women especially, you know, we could kind of, you know, wrap stuff around our minds to make sense of everything inside our minds. But years, you know, took its toll. I I was getting sick. I had vision problems. I had to actually have laser surgery done in one of my eyes. I was getting the major incontinence issue, and I was afraid to even tell anybody this that I could, I could not actually sit down at my job and do my function because I had to run to the bathroom every couple of minutes. And, you know, I had to, you know, do the best I can. But what I had, but I knew, I had diabetes, but I wasn't taking care of myself like I should. And then, you know, like 2014, my world changed completely. I was at work one day, and I was kind of like just sitting down. I was having this major headache. I'm like, what's going on? And I was like, and I started looking at numbers, and I'm like, "Jesus, this is a major headache." So I told my supervisor I was not feeling good, and she's like, "Okay." And I started to slur, I started to talk backward. It was like weird. I was like inside of my body, but I could not kind of function. You know, what, so I went home and I went to sleep. And at three o'clock, my daughter came home, and she's like, "Mom, how you doing?" I'm like, "I'm good. I have to go to soccer practice. I have to get up and get dinner ready." I have to get my son off to practice. And um, she says, Mom, you sound weird. I'm like, I'm good. And she says, Mom, you sound really weird. I'm like, I'm good. She called my sister immediately. And after she called my sister, after she called my sister, I um, was like, okay, I have to go cook. So I started to cook. My sister told her to call 911 immediately. So she did. The ambulance came. Do you know, I did not go to the doctor. I was like, I have to cook. I have to get him to soccer practice. I have to go to school. I'm like making up all of these stuff in my head not to go to the doctor and to the hospital because I wasn't caring for myself. You know, as as a mother, you know, you care for your children, your husband. You have duties and chores that has to get done. And I wasn't caring for myself in that moment. So I refused to go. You refused and to told go. My husband, and so, I refused to go. You
2: also refused my blood to go, pressure. though, right?
5: Yes, my blood pressure was actually 192 over 110. I refused to go. And when my husband came home, I started to slur. And he says, no, we're going. So I went to the hospital, and, you know, I went in, and everything went off. They're, like, bringing the, the gurney and all kind of stuff. They said stroke, and it's, like, stroke alert. And I was, like, okay, what's going on? I don't know what to do. And I was here in an after stroke, and thinking of, hey, I need to go to practice. I need to cook dinner, and I can't. And you know what? It was like it was really, it was it was mind blown because here I am, a 41 year old mother, a wife, and I could not move my limb. I couldn't talk right. It was surreal. And during my hospital stay, after a few hey, days, scary my scary, hemorrhage. Right? It, it, scary? Was I mean, scary.
2: It,
5: scary. it was scary. It was scary. It was like, what do I do? How do I function? How do I? It was like, I mean, my brain was like trying to do, and you know how when you want to do and you can't, you want to move a limb and, you know, your brain is saying, yes, you can, but your body's saying, no, you can't. So it was, it was really a lot to take in on at once. And all I did was cry. All I did was cry. And, you know, I went to rehab. And here I'm 41 years old. I am the actual youngest patient in rehab. Because when you think of a stroke, you think of, a, of being, you know, an old people's disease or something that people get later on in life. You don't think that 41 years old you're going to have a stroke and have, you know, be disabled or can't do what you need to do. So they sent me off to rehab. I did the rehab. I came home. I had physical therapy here. I had to have somebody help me with the basic needs because I wasn't able to do Even to get out of bed was an issue. And I would say two weeks after that, I was having this really bad backache. And I said, wow, it was jolting. Like I was being electrocuted. And I'm like, this is different. I don't know, but we need to get to the hospital because this is weird. So we went to the emergency room, and thank goodness the doctor that saw me there was the same doctor that treated me. A month earlier, and he's like, okay, let's run some EKG. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then within a matter of 45 minutes after I had the cardiogram, I was rushed to Broward General, and I was put on the cath lab. And from then, I was transferred to ICU, and my whole world changed. Here I am, 41 years old, a wife, a mother, a child, a sister, and my life changed. I was put in a corner. They had to have, you know, he said, he said, I had my, the widow maker. You heard about that. My, the main artery was 99% blocked, which means they had to go stat. They had to go in to relieve everything. And I, um, I was like numb to it all. And, you know, the, you know, the doctors is telling me, get the, the people in, get my preacher in, um, get my will, get everything ready, get my family in. And I'm like, how do I deal with this? Here I am thinking I'm doing everything I need to do, and why is this happening to me? And, you know, my world was shattered, and, I, you know, they had to put me on the, the table and give my husband and my children kisses, and that was it. And I woke up, I don't know how long the surgery was, but I woke up to a lot of machines. And I wouldn't want one person to experience my personal health. Of just the fact of being in ICU, and listening to the machines and listening to even the other patients and what they do and how they get along. And, you know, I went through it. I trucked along. Thank goodness I came out. But I had to face a lot of stuff. I had to face the inner me. I had to make a decision. Carrie, I'm 41 years old, wife and a mother. What do I do? How do I get myself to somewhat of a life? And it was It was earth-shattering because I had to make some decisions. I was, you know, being home alone, I didn't like it. So my husband and I, we adopted a dog just to give me some comfort of being home. Because, you know, when you're home alone and when you're sick, and, you know, I had to have three other surgeries because three of the grafts actually fail. So they had to go back in the native vein. So 2014, I can say I spent practically... Every month in the hospital, because there was issues, there was blood pressure, there was an angina, so there was always something happening. I'm like, what do I do? So the doctor had told me, I went to this cardiologist, and he told me, says, you know what? We're gonna we did all we can do. I give you the medical intervention. Just go home and take your pills, and live. And I'm like, no, there's more to this. There is more to life. So, you know, I couldn't move that much. I couldn't exercise. So what I started doing was I started looking for ways to get healthy. I know I couldn't exercise, so I started looking at Dr. Eckerson. I started looking at food. I started looking at plant-based. So I started learning, but I knew that my diabetes was the gateway. And when I say as the gateway, because I didn't treat it important enough. You know, you, know, you, you, know you, feel, you feel tired when you have diabetes or you feel drawn, and, but you feel like you take a medication. Oh, you're just, you're just tired, and you learn to function, and function is not normal. So I kind of I started to learn about diabetes, truly learn about the pamphlets that I put down, you know, 14 years ago, and I had to go, and I started looking for ways to eat, learning how carbohydrate plays a role, how water could get rid of sodas, even soft drinks. So I started learning about net carbs and carbohydrate and how they work with the pancreas, and I started gaining information. And I started most of all loving myself because, you know, being di- diagnosed, you know, some people look at it like a life sentence. It's not. And I've learned how to live smart by fighting smart, by learning that I have to diet to certain foods, and it's okay to modify my cooking, because guess what? I am worth putting down some stuff. My children are worth me being able to walk with them or even take my son to soccer practice. So I had to take accountability, and I got my sister involved, and she she was here cheering me on. And when I started to exercise, tell you the truth, I had a little chair. I used to go outside my mailbox to meet the sunrise every morning. And I would put it down I'd walk like two or three blocks and put it down and sit down. I know people thought it was crazy outside because I used to talk to myself a lot. I'm like, girl, you can do this. Girl, you can do this. So I started by just making it out to my mailbox, understanding that I wanted to live. And I know I, diabetes is not going to take me out because I've learned to modify. Now, it's not easy, and it's a daily battle of learning how food, exercise, and working with your medical team can make a difference. Like I said, this new initiative, I wish it was around 6 years ago when I was diagnosed. First of all, I could have looked at certain stuff in a different angle and then maybe, you know, I say, when you know better, you do better. Information's out there. I want to I want to ask you,
2: Hyval, cuz uh, I'm thank you first of all, thank you so much for sharing this story. I'm so grateful that you're on the podcast, but more grateful that you're around for your family. And I just want to celebrate your spirit, which comes through loud and clear. I think um, uh, it was emotional for me to hear it. Um, I think that the common thread I'd like to comment on before we take a quick break is just the idea uh, that you touched upon earlier about not being the number one priority, that you were a wife and mother, you had job commitments, commitment to your son, that we're stopping you from doing things. And I, I want to – I'd love you to address our listeners on that topic about how to make yourself a priority because, as you stated so eloquently in your testimonial, how many times you had just kind of pushed yourself aside in order to be there for everyone, including the walk into emergency when you were even – you weren't really willing to go to the doctor because you had to make sure they had a meal on the table so you had to take your son to soccer class. So what do you say to women, you know, because this is a common thread and men too. This happened to Luther. Life gets in the way, and uh, life stops you from maybe uh, taking care of yourself. And I'd love to hear you address people right now with uh, how you can encourage someone right now to make sure that they're a priority. It doesn't mean they're a bad mother, bad husband, bad wife, bad son, bad uh, father, daughter, whatever, and make sure they're taking care of themselves.
5: Yes, especially mothers, you know, we as women, especially, you know, we put our feelings, we put every emotions aside and we care, we're caretakers. So we take on responsibility. I found myself as being an African-American woman, I had a tough exterior. You know, there was always a fight. There was always, you know, you can be a single parent. There's always something to do. But what happens is you have to really, really put yourself first because you can't take care of a child if you're sick. You can't take care of yourself or anybody else unless you're hold. You know, they talk about it when you go on an airplane. You know, you put that mask physically on yourself before you put on your child. There's a reason. You have to save yourself. And I had a lot of resentment in my heart. And I looked at myself as not worthy enough. You know, there's always something else. But I had to really look at myself and put on my big girl pants and say, you know what? I am worth it. So if you're in the bathroom for a few minutes, close the door. (laughs) You are worth it. You know, if you look in the mirror and you see your children, just, you know, just take time out. We have to care for ourselves, and that's the big thing I want people to know. It's okay to be selfish. It's okay to invest in yourself. Self-care is crucial, and the only person that can take care of themselves are you.
2: All right, stick around, because we're going to be right back, Hayvel. But first, I just wanted to tell people, if they go to nodiabetesbyheart.org on Valentine's Day, they're going to get a special surprise. And like you just heard Hayvel Ferguson Davis say, romance yourself. That's how I'm going to say it from now on. We're going to romance ourselves, make ourselves number one priorities. And right now, let's just turn up the love for a second, right? And hear another cut from uh, Camilla Camilla's romance album, courtesy of Sony Music. This one's called This Love. Thank
1: you for being on the show. I value favorites. I'll decide to make me miss you. When I'm feeling sentimental, going in a separate way But when I'm back here in the middle, losing you, I couldn't face. But to love you is worse. Waiting for you just in case one day it doesn't hurt. Nah, nah, nah. Dead is I but nah, 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 nah. Just like that. Building up my walls, yeah Just to watch them fall up them up call calling my name Get out of my veins If you need your help Then just walk away Welcome back to Diaries Late Night
2: uh, I'm your host, Steve Begg. We just heard a phenomenal testimonial from Hyvel Ferguson-Davis. She's one of the ambassadors for No Diabetes by Heart. It's a collaborative between the American Heart and the American Diabetes Association, really important uh, organization, uh, collaborative project, excuse me, to check out and this is a website. We've still got Lorraine and we've got Janice on uh, the phone, Well, as well as Hyvel. I'm, I'm still lost in the sauce right now from that story. But I want to bring in our next guest. <laughs> and then we'll all have a collaborative love fest to just talk about what we heard tonight and get people's comments. So, um, you know, this is our 10th year anniversary. We're going into it in in July. It's going to be our 10th year anniversary of podcasting. And, you know, long before the podcast, if you could even think that far back or you were born that far, um, I would do live events. And the very first event I did, was called Love and Lipstick, Lipstick and Laughter, that's right. And so uh, it was at a makeup studio, and the idea was to give women affected by living with an at-risk for diabetes a boost of confidence by giving them makeover services and then having wonderful diabetes educators right next to them when they had that makeover to offer advice on some of the issues they wanted to talk about most. Matters at the Heart would be one of the ones we're talking about tonight. Um, so I was... Uh, I remember how it happened with, through the J-O-D-R-S, they connected me with this humorous diabetes educator, and so um, she's come back on the podcast. Uh, I haven't seen her in a long time, but I'm so thrilled to have her on because she's now a best-selling author, I want to say. She just uh, published a couple of years ago, uh, My Sweet Blessings, Adventures in Diabetes. Please welcome to the show, Trisha Peretti. Hello, Trisha.
1: Oh, la, la.
0: (laughs) Hi, Max. How are you?
1: (laughs)
2: Um, I'm great. We should tell everyone you're not only a humorist, you're a certified diabetes educator and you're a registered nurse. And uh, you know, you just heard Vi- Hyvel Ferguson Davis's story uh, of what she went through. I'm sure. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience around romancing yourself. But I thought first, as someone who works in the medical field, you could kind of might want to give some context to what we just heard regarding Hyvel's story.
0: Well, I'm going to be honest because you know I am, Max, and after that whole story, I had like a lump in my throat and I had like deja vu because we all had that initial experience, that bombshell, and it's gigantic. Um, And I've said many, many times over and over again that I have learned to accept diabetes not overnight but over time. And if it was not for the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, when I was a very young mom with three little children, I was a single mother, and I pretty much thought the world was ending, and I was skinny, and I was a racquetball player, I was a jock, I ate clean, I didn't understand what they were telling me, and so... I went through the dark place we all go through. We go through denial and anger and bargaining with God, like, I'll never curse again if you take this away, or, you know, like, and and I finally um, had enough uh, insulin in the hospital that I got my vision back, and at that moment, when I looked out the window and I could see again, because diabetes had taken my eyes, I I could see. And I got down on my knees and I talked to the universe, to God, whatever words, spiritual life you uh, adhere to. And I promised that I was going to do something good with this, with this. Because, you know, when things happen to us, we think, is this the worst that could happen? Maybe yes, maybe no. So because of diabetes, I became interested in the body. Why would this affect my eyes, my feet, my kidneys, my heart? And we didn't have Google. We didn't have the Internet. I went to the library, I went to medical libraries, and I went to nursing school really selfishly to um, know people in the right place if anything went wrong, which they predicted everything would go wrong. And one of our family friends, who was the doctor at my diagnosis, said to me, "Ah, you got a good 10 years with your legs. Well, I'd like to give a thump on the head to him, but he's already crossed over. And I've had my legs much more than that. So I was diagnosed in 92. I don't know how many years that is ago. I think like 28. And diabetes has blessed my life in ways that the naysayers don't believe. But because of diabetes, I have met the most amazing warriors, children. The littlest kid I put on a pump was 18 months. Um, she is dear to my heart forever. And her name's Brave Maeve, if anybody knows her. I love her. And um she and all the people like us are a tribe. We have what the Japanese called ikigai, which is like we have community, we have purpose, we have a reason to wake up every day. And our families, we scare them, but they love us in a way that, you know, I mean, talking about romance. When my husband hands me orange juice and I need it, that is as romantic as it gets. I don't need hugs and kisses. I need OJ. And so the things that I find so wonderful about diabetes is that it has given me a Bachelor of Science in nursing. I, I put in enough teaching hours to become a certified diabetes educator. And the things that I have done in my life, only because of diabetes, is why I'm grateful, and I know it sounds so, you know, kind of Pollyanna Max, and you've heard this all from me before, and and people that hate it, hate it, hate it. I I mean I feel like you know that's like looking at your arm and saying I hate you, I hate you. I mean once it's ours, it, it is, and like all the resentment and bitterness and denial is not going to make it go away. And you know I wore a pump for a thousand years, and people would say oh, but, you know, doesn't that interfere with your sex life? And my wonderful husband of 28 years would say, there is nothing sexier than my wife with a good blood sugar. Because when our blood sugar's high, we're a little bit grouchy and sleepy and unmotivated, and when it's low, um, you know, we're in the danger zone. So what I know to be true is the man I married fell in love with me before I had diabetes. He's the only man in the world that knows me with and without and um we got married on valentine's day and so i just raced home to get on the phone with you because i was out buying him just so many things out of love because he's made my life so wonderful and you know diabetes is like an elephant and you gotta eat it like a bite at a time and so what was the question (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think you've answered it a million ways I, I'm i going to give you the old
1: oh la la
2: And I, I love <laughs> shouting out To the people in our lives Who have made a difference And, and helped us along these journey, journeys I'm going to bring in Janice, Lorraine And Haivelle And then um, we're going to have a surprise caller In the last ten minutes of the program So I want to get um, start with Janice I mean, let's talk about both of these stories Obviously Tricia Peretti Uses humor uh, that has served her well through the 28 years of living with diabetes. But we just heard Heidel's story of survival and, and this idea of not prioritizing. It kind of goes back to the conversation around intimacy, doesn't it, Janice, to a certain extent, about the different types of intimacy and making sure that you are spending time with yourself enough to actually be able to then have meaningful relationships in your life. And as, Am I going down the right path here?
4: You know, I'll tell you first, Max, I have to compliment you because not every show can do what you do. These guests were able to have intimate moments with us as an audience. They shared their emotions. They shared their thoughts about things. They shared some spiritual connections that they wanted to highlight And we were listening, and I know I was totally riveted and felt very, very connected to these women um, because this was intimate. It doesn't have to be sex to be intimate. This was an intimate moment, and I compliment you for creating a show that's able to do that because very few um, individuals can—they very few individuals host shows that can create that intimacy a lot of times it's just distance you know you listen on the radio while you're uh you know doing whatever driving somewhere and you don't feel connected to the people on the show so this is beautiful yes all a a very intense form of of intimacy and very special yes i agree with you this was intimacy
1: yeah
2: uh, Lorraine, this comes back to what you were talking about earlier too about you know knowing yourself, loving yourself, and and how do you reflect after hearing these conversations tonight?
3: So the thing that hit me the most, Max, was um, the comment about um, uh, her husband giving her orange juice. I'm sorry, I don't remember your guest's name. Uh, For sure. <clears throat> That her husband brought. Her, thank you. Uh, that her husband brought her orange juice and. You know, quick story, one day I was at work and I was giving a speech in front of about 50 or 60 people and I got up on the podium and I just happened to say, gee, you know, I think I need to eat something. And I'm telling you, about 15 or 20 people rushed up to me with orange juice and candy and whatever they had with them because they knew that if I was saying I needed to eat, I must have been having, you know, a low blood sugar. And in that moment, I felt so uh supported and you know appreciated and even loved and these were my colleagues these were people at work um and they they knew what I needed in that moment and it made me feel so good to know that I was safe you know I was safe with those people and I was safe in that place at that moment and I think to me that was a really you know that was a really intimate moment so I think I think. Uh, uh everyone for sharing their personal experiences because I think we all have similar experiences and we all have similar feelings and and, and it's important to talk about these things. So I I, I, I piggy back on to what Janice just said. I appreciate you and, and your your show and, and the way that you allow people to just be themselves and talk about the things that are important to them.
2: Well, thank you. All right, hi Val. I want to talk about uh, your husband and give him a big shout out because I know from reading the profiles on you that your husband was right there after you went through all of what you talked about earlier, the, every health crisis. And when you decided to get healthy and 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 change some of your behaviors, he would actually be there while you were starting to engage in exercise and support you. So. Let's give it big in the in the name of Valentine's Day. Let's. I'm, I want to give you a minute to just tell us all the reasons why you love your husband, and why he's so uh, such an important part of your, know your diabetes health champion.
5: Yes, Ivan Davis. He is my rock. He's my soul mate, and he is everything to me. You know, he rubs my feet because I have neuropathy at night. He even eats my cooking because I've modified a lot, and he is actually we took out all of the pork, the beef. And he's actually going fishing to bring food home. And I'm like, what a remarkable man. And I say, thank God that he is able to be my biggest supporter and my cheerleader. But he also lets me know, hey, you're doing a little bit too much. Slow down. Because sometimes I don't realize with a heart issue, you know, I'm not fully like how I used to be. My mind is willing, but my body isn't. So he's always there pushing me, warning me, and motivating me. And he's just my soulmate.
2: I love it. Thank you so much for celebrating Valentine's Day early with us. And, uh, his name's Ivan. Yes.
5: What
2: is, what is your husband's name? Yes. All right. And, <laughs> Tricia, I want to talk about your husband, because, I mean your father, excuse me, because you posted on Facebook uh, about your dad with his passing, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear of your loss. But he, because he seems like an extraordinary man. I mean, I can't believe you were at our first Makeover Your Diabetes uh, program, and here you have a uh, hairstylist in the family. So tell us a little bit about your dad and sing his phrases in the name of Valentine's Day.
0: Oh, well, my mother would disagree with everything I'm about to say. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was young, my mom and dad got divorced. And I was a Catholic girl from Philadelphia, and divorce in the Catholic faith was like right up there with murder. And um, it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't fun, but my dad, he came in and out of my life as I needed him. He wasn't typical. He wasn't there every night at the dinner table. Before the divorce, he was a beautician. He, He owned a beauty salon in philadelphia across from kyw studios so kyw studios is where the mike douglas show was filmed so my dad went in before the mike douglas show began and he asked if um the movie stars uh, would like their hair done before they went on the show and at that point roger ailes was uh i think the producer and he said the idea was ridiculous And why would people need such a thing? And as, of course, we all know, in today's world, everybody has that. But this was the 1960s, 68, 69. So my father offered the Mike Douglas show his services for one month. And he said, for one month, I will do the hair of anybody who's on your show for free. And if you like it at the end of 30 days, we'll talk. Well, at the end of 30 days, I got to meet the Supremes and the Temptations and Sally Starr and, 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 and Betty Davis and just famous people because they kept my dad for a decade. And my dad is a prime example of like, you can ask, believe and receive and you can manifest. So I have beautiful memories of him taking me, you know, to the show when the show was being filmed. And I got to meet these people. And it's funny, you know, I did post it on Facebook, and so many people from my life didn't even know all this because I was kind of in the closet about my dad. Um, You know, he wasn't really there when we were little. And, uh, you know, I wrote about him in my book also, The Sweet Blessing. I did write about this story because my dad was somebody who, once he decided he wanted something he got it he he it was very persistent my father so he was diagnosed with diabetes at age 80 and he called me up and he said patricia i only have one question what about my scotch <laughs>
3: I didn't know whether
0: I should tell him the truth, Janice, that, like, there were, like, really no carbohydrates in scotch, so, I don't know, I kind of dodged the answer by saying, if I tell you the truth, you can't have scotch for breakfast, and um, he lived six more years with type 2 diabetes, and it was my honor, like, you know, to have him as a dad, so, yeah, I got, um, I got, I would say, my badassness from my father, and, Diabetes is no different than anything else in our life that's tough. I'm tough. Life is tough. And you just have to deal with it all. And, you know, I know my friends don't like me to say this, but it's often that I say you got to build a bridge and get over it. On January 4th, I was at the BB&T Center with Oprah and Lady Gaga. And one thing I would like to share that I heard was Oprah said, and it's in a book that she gave us, a workbook about intention, and you can say, whatever the topic, I'm trying to lose weight, I want to lose weight, it's a very different sentence than I decide that I am going to. Not I'm going to try, not I think I will, or I might be ready next week, but you make a decision, you have a clear intention, and in 2020, I'm looking for 2020 vision. And what Oprah was really talking about that day was wellness wellness in nutrition wellness in movement wellness in intimacy wellness with emotions wellness with your purpose it's not just our bodies it's all of us it's our body it's our mind it's our spirit and i think diabetes challenges us to balance a whole lot of things food activity and we walk a tightrope so for Anybody out there who walks my walk and walks in my shoes, I love you all. We are T one D warriors and I just live for the day when there's type none diabetes.
2: You're right. And you know what? We're gonna bring we're gonna come right back with a type one warrior who's been living with type one for over fifty years. I think it's more like sixty years. We're gonna find out in a second. But first we're gonna take a quick one more quick break. I do love Camilla Camilla's uh, album I'm going to play easy for you This is off her new album Entitled uh, Romance Courtesy of Sony Music And when we
1: come back We're going to meet a fierce Type 1 diabetes warrior You tell me that I'm complicated And I might be an undersaving. Anything else? You tell me that I'm indecisive Fickle but I try to hide it Anything else? You tell me that I always That you'd rather fight than spend a single peaceful night with somebody else. You really, really know me, the future and the old me. All of the mazes and the madness in my mind. You really, really love me, you know me and you love me.
2: Welcome back to Diabetes Right Night. It's time for my final guest. She's been living with type one diabetes for a long, long time. I think as long as I've been alive, to be honest. I'm so proud (laughs) and happy and honored to bring her to the show. Please welcome Kathy Malik. Hello, Kathy.
6: Hi. (laughs) Greetings. Welcome to Diabetes
2: Yeah, you're you're following an all star lineup of Divas tonight. Uh, we're so grateful to have you on the show and uh we want to celebrate your great health and hear how it's been for you, how you've managed to live with type one diabetes since nineteen sixty five, is that correct?
6: Uh, no, that's when my husband and I were married. Got married. Oh,
5: so wh- I've what
6: I've been year a have diabetic since yet? I've been a diabetic since I was uh five years old. That
1: was in – well, uh, that was in 1950. oh
6: she's going to make us <laughs> laugh.
2: <laughs> oh la, la. So how long has <laughs> so that been, Kathy? Is, uh, is it 60? Uh, 60, that 60, was in 1950. 50? Okay. So, wow. All right. So what what has kept you going all these years? Let's, I want to know how you've lived with type, uh, type one diabetes. And Trisha Peretti, who was on a little bit earlier, she does wonderful outreach at camps. And I know uh, a big change in your life happened when you first went to camp all those years ago to learn about managing your diabetes. So I'm curious, like how, uh, what has kept you going, and how have you been able to do this for all these years?
6: <laughs> how? Well, hmm. By God's grace, (laughs) Um, all I can say is that my parents took it seriously and did everything they could as I was growing up. And um, when my husband and I got married, he (laughs) he came to the house one day and my dad handed him an old uh syringe glass syringe, <laughs> and he said, "Here, practice and he gave him an orange. go with it and, and so has your husband
2: has your husband been a big part of your self care success all these years? I think so, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts well are.
6: he he had to yeah Uh, He had to carry me down the stairs when we'd go dancing every Friday night before we were married, and uh, he had to carry me down 13 stairs (laughs) because I'd pass out after all the exercise Uh, to my parents' front door. Anyway, so he knew that I was a diabetic
2: and how did how did that experience of going to camp when you were nine years old change your life
6: well um, it helped me to know that I wasn't the only one in the world <laughs> with it um, My doctor uh that I have now uh says that I have done very well. He says there are very few who (laughs) have had diabetes this long who are still uh, healthy living. But my mom and dad, my mom took it seriously, and she... (laughs) I laughed because my dad uh would have was allowed to have one cookie at dinner time, <laughs> wow. so i mean by for his dessert, and I got fruit, you know <laughs> and nobody right. else had a cookie. <laughs>
2: Now, oh. I want, to ask, Kat, yes, I want to ask you, because we appeal to a lot of um, women at risk affected by living diabetes, and, you know, we do a lot of outreach uh-huh. to women with type 1. A lot of times women, yeah. even today, uh, who have type 1, don't think they're ever going to get married, and, and they hear about these stories, if mm-hmm. they watch still length, all that they might not be able to have a baby, or if they have a baby, there might be complications, and sometimes that's true. And I'm just curious, like, what your message is, because here you were diagnosed uh, back in 1950, uh, you just admitted to being married. I'm curious. I, I know the answer, but or, I think everyone wants to know if you were able to have children, if you've been able to be a grandmother, and what advice you would give to any of these young women who do listen to our podcast and uh, are have some serious insecurities about what the world holds for them in, the, in uh, going forward in their future.
6: Okay. Um, I have kept to the diet just keep to the diet that the doctor gave you <laughs> to the dietitians what they tell you because you can't you can't take more insulin to uh, uh keep yourself on the good side i mean yes you can if you go too high, but you you have to stay away from the sweets. If you're a type one, you just have to, and that's what I learned early on—that uh, it does me no favors.
2: And you've been uh, able to? Do you have children? We
6: have do. Children? We now, are. now you Our daughter was born in 1970, and our son was born in 1980. And the doctor told me when I, my OBGYN said, uh, you know, we can terminate this pregnancy with our son. And I, well, before he was born. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, Doctor,
1: <laughs>
6: we have waited a long time for this baby. <laughs> and he was born healthy and, yeah. Uh, our daughter. And her husband have two boys. One graduates from college this June, and the other graduates from high school. And our son and his wife have uh, two—I mean, um, four children. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, and good. Then our
2: <laughs> final moment, because. Uh, You've been dying. You've been living with type one for seventy so years. We've heard so many incredible stories for women tonight. Uh, I want to just know what do you attribute to the secret of your diabetes life?
3: Huh.
6: The secret? <laughs> I don't know if it is a secret. Uh, you, the secret. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Uh, when I don't know what to do or how to do it or what to fix for dinner or what a, what my next part of my sentence is, he reminds me. He helps me. And... Um, that's all I can say. Ask Jesus to help you.
2: <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Kathy, for coming on the show, celebrating that huge milestone with us. I want to thank all my guests for being a part of Diabetes Late Night tonight. Make sure to tune in in March for our annual tribute to Luther Vandross. Right now, we're going to go with Camilla Camello's uh, wonderful song called First Man," and we're dedicating this to all the men in everyone's lives uh, that all the women. Uh, mentioned tonight so happy valentine's day thank you everyone for tuning in
1: yes I'm gonna stay with him tonight I'll see you in the morning no of course he won't drink and drive can you stay by the Mum for me Oh, you like him he's really kind Funny like you sometimes And I found someone I really like Maybe for the first time
5: No, I don't need a
1: check It's not that cold days of coming up. And I can only come home for four. Yeah, I just met his family. They're just like you and mom. You may me really happy. I think you might be the one.